Well, I saw someone um, on Facebook. Uh, they they had watched the new Jurassic Park film, and they like got like a, a third of the way through, and they're like, "I'm done with this. This is awful. The series is over." I'm like, "Really? From from Fallen Kingdom? That's the like, one. That's <laughs> your final straw. <laughs> Jurassic Park three didn't do it for you, right?" Uh, so I don't get it. I don't get the well, absolute hate for it. It's the same absolute hate that I just don't... Well, I don't get how the, all the hate on Solo. I actually really enjoyed Solo, but then I still don't get all the hate on The Last Jedi. Me either. We were just having this conversation yesterday about like how Kathleen Kennedy lost her job because of Star Wait, Wars. Wait, she's not... No, she was fired. What? When? Because Solo did so bad. No, get yeah, out of here. That's why they're not... And they're not doing the other um, spinoffs now either, right? Well, they're not... Ye- well... They said they're not yeah. going to, but yeah, she was fired because people I boycotted she Solo. Was still, I, I heard she was fired. I I heard she was fired too. I might have to look into it. But then I was telling Amanda, it's like she had one bad, theoretically one bad film, which I will argue that it was not a bad film at all. Um, she had one bad film, and you know they're gonna fire her. And I was reading through it. I was like, Amanda, let me just read to you some of the films that she's done, and. She she's not only and I'm uh, she's one of the most powerful producers in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and she's a woman too, which is even fucking better. Yeah. Um, it, Express in UK says that she is staying and she was not fired. Yeah, I didn't think she was but, fired. There was a lot of rumors about. Yeah, it. and I guess they were talking about her possibly stepping down. Mm-hmm. It says, but it doesn't look like she was fired. You're saying, yeah, she's one of the most powerful producers. She's like one of the best producers. You look at her filmography. It's practically hit after hit after hit. Right. And you go, oh, she screwed up with Solo or whatever. And you're like, people are calling for her head because of it. Although I think they're calling for her head because they didn't like Last Jedi. So they're like, oh, there's two movies right. I don't like. Well, Get rid of her. that's why they boycotted Solo is because they didn't like Last Jedi. Which is so silly. No, it is. It's stupid. Like... Why would you, just because you didn't like one in the series, why would you not support the other? Because then you risk them not making anymore. Because they're like, well, that one didn't do good. And then the next one didn't do good. Well, what's silly about it, so the the people that boycotted the film were of this, like, huge, this I don't know how huge of a group they are, but they're of this group of fans that's angry that there's more women, female, like, main characters or more diverse characters in star wars but they boycott the film that has a white dude as i didn't realize that was the issue was that there were there was too much diversity for their yeah wow i remember when i'm not surprised i remember when the first couple images were coming up for um the force awakens i was trying to remember was like the jedi awake i just couldn't remember what the title was the force awakens (laughs) and like the first time we saw finn People were freaking out. I was like, Stormtroopers can't be black. Right. And then a friend of mine posted a picture of like, just like, oh, just so you remember. And it's like, it's a gif of Luke Skywalker taking off the helmet. It's like, you know, undercover's a thing. Yeah. Just, uh, people are so stupid. Um, with like, there's valid reasons to dislike both Last Jedi and Solo. There are things about both that <clears throat> I think are valid. Um, yeah. But to... To then just take those little points and make them your whole argument and just hate the series because of them. That's too far. Right. It is too far. And like I said, to not support them for the sake of because it's still Star Wars, even if there's parts you don't like. Because I don't necessarily love all of them. 
but like how dare you (laughs) even the original trilogy there's things like looking back on it it's like you know the 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 editor in me it's like oh i'd tweak that i would trim that a little a bit because like and maybe it's just because i'm getting older but it's like those movies are long. Yeah. Like even when we, we rewatched Black Panther last night, and I was like, "Oh, you could trim this. You could cut this. You could trim this." As we're watching Black Panther last night, it's like as much as I still I still think it really holds up. But um, there's up until Killmonger invades Wakanda, it's like it's all pretty standard superhero fare. Yep. And I was I'm like, "Oh, we don't need this chase, or you know, we can cut this down and." Because we had for Amanda's film class, she had the, she's tasked with watching a a Hollywood movie that she enjoys, and she has to pick out cliches. Nice. So I thought that that could be a fun one because while it has got a lot of cliches that all superhero movies does, there's also cliches that it chooses to turn on its head a little bit. So the mixture of the two, and I, I just kept thinking this because like. The runtime for the film is like a, is two hours and fifteen. The actual movie is like two hours and three, and the rest that's credits. Oh sure. And the after credit scenes, but yeah. <laughs> and I just kept thinking, two hours. You could probably easily cut this down to. You could probably cut ten minutes out of this movie. I heard that back when they so the Academy for a little while was gonna create a popcorn Oscar. Oh, they're um, not doing that. They're now? not doing the it. Pop- yeah. God, because that was stupid. Yeah, uh, but everyone was like, "Oh, Black Panther, that'll win it, or whatever." And then the people at Disney were. Or whatever they were like, no, Black Panther. We we want it to win the actual Oscar. Yeah. And I'm like, I get what you're saying, but like you should always strive to reach the highest. But like, I I you know in a in a weird way, I kind of appreciate the slight ego they have. It's like, oh, we're creating an, an, a category for you, and they're like, fuck it, let's try for the real one. Like, let's not essentially take a handout. So like in a weird way, I respect their decision, but I don't think it's gonna get it. I just, I you know, I look at the blockbuster season, and I'm like, I can probably count five movies that were better than Black Panther. Not that Black Panther wasn't good, but when you've got Mission Impossible Fallout, even like the Avengers film, you know, there's just, there was some pretty high yeah, quality. Infinity War made, made me tear up, made me a little misty. Yeah, yeah, that one. I don't know, I guess I just didn't, I didn't like that. Why create another category? Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm glad they got rid of it. And of all the categories that they could create, like, <laughs> like that's the one they went with. Like, I'm, I'm still an advocate that I think stuntmen deserve a fucking category. Totally. Oh, yeah. Especially because there's a, I don't remember which comedian said it. I want to say it's like Pat Oswalt. I could be wrong, but can he say, can you imagine if there was a stuntman category? That'd be the best reel of the show. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, and when they were talking about making that category, they were also, wasn't that when they were like, well, the lesser awards will play behind commercials yep. and stuff. That, that annoyed shitty. me. So was, you were you, you slave in front of a computer to like you know do the best fucking sound mix you can, and it's cool that most people don't know the difference between sound mix and sound editing. I was deep into film school before I realized what the actual fucking difference was. But it's <laughs> nice that like right now they get the same respect like time wise yeah. on TV that everyone else does. Exactly. So if you don't get it? It's still there. You have the opportunity. Yeah. Like, to just completely shut it off, it's like, well, now no one's going to ever know right. any of it. Yeah, that when I heard that, too, I think that almost bummed me out more than the, the yeah. popcorn Oscar thing. The pro- I thought the popcorn one was stupid, but, like, yeah. that part was like, that's just, 
that's mean. Plus, as, as you know, uh, all of us have sitting through have sat through more than one Oscar ceremony. <laughs> Part of the fun is sitting through the is sitting through the little awards too. It's like it's gonna, it feels like when you get to something that you legitimately care about, it feels earned. It's like watching WrestleMania. It's like, oh, do I really want to watch you know this gimmick battle royal? No, but it gets me to the good shit. That's true. That's true. And you know, and we I, all need bathroom breaks. Right. I'm kidding. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think if they want to get rid of stuff, they just this is this is me speaking as a film person, not as like a general audience person. Like I'm I'm going to the bathroom when they're doing those like song and dance numbers or whatever. Yes. I'm just like I don't need to hear the best original song. Play like a play like a 30 second clip and move the fuck on. Right. Well, right. I still think that they need to like restructure it where like, I think it's stupid that you have best film, but then you have best animated film. Like, best film should just be the best film. Yep. Like, that's that should be it. Best foreign language film. Like, and yeah. then, so, b- there's best foreign language film, but didn't, like, the artist win best film? Is it not technically a foreign language film because there's no talking in the movie? Because it was a French production. There's, there's no a foreign f- language to it. There's just no language. <laughs> So it's like it's annoying, like because normally the artist would have just been in best foreign language film because it's an international film, but it it was essentially stroking off Hollywood. So they're like, hey, let's put it in best picture contention because well, it's about Hollywood. And there have been foreign films that have made the best picture. I think some animated films have also. Yeah, yeah. It but is. It, didn't Beauty and the seemed, Beast? Uh, yep, it yeah. won it. It's, it just seems weird though to just have like, you know. I mean, it goes just the yeah. same way I feel about, like, wrestling. Like, you have, like, the championship belt, and then you have the women's championship belt because you can't just have one championship belt. <laughs> right. But, like, it's just, like, you have this, like, big award, but then you have to have the sub-awards because not everyone qualifies for the big award, but then they should qualify for something else. Or it should, instead of best picture, it should be, like, best live action or something. Sure. Yeah, I mean, or that, national live action. That way, they're on the same playing field because it right. feels like Best Picture is a bigger deal than the other ones. Yeah, and like that's the part that seems kind of unfair. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I don't think that they'll ever change it. No, but at the same, yeah, I don't. Probably not, but you know, at least <laughs> at least they've got categories that help you see more animated films or more foreign that's films. That's true, yeah. And this is like what people don't understand about like that whole popcorn Oscar is like people don't need to see more popcorn movies. We already know about the blockbusters. Right. So you don't need a blockbuster category. Yeah. However, I do love that every year when the Oscars rolls around without fail, my mom's like, I haven't heard of any of these movies. <laughs> Everyone does that, yep. though. Yeah, and I was like, well, part of that is because all you watch is MeTV, and they don't advertise these movies on MeTV <laughs> during the Western hour. That's right. <laughs> but speaking of Westerns... That was kind of like my, my ham-fisted <laughs> segue a little bit. Like, I was... Uh, I was trying to think. It's like, it's like, eventually we need to get ourselves on topic. How can I mention that? And I was like, oh... It it, it, it it worked a little bit. So, I'm actually do the intro. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am your host, Michael Virus, and with me are two very special guests. First up, we have the only woman that's both mayor and sheriff of my life, my wife. Amanda. And then I just rewrote this one, so bear with me for a second. And returning to his second episode of the show, a man that's known for painting the town red. Kyle. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, okay. yeah. You say your name. I, I kind of lead you in, and then uh, <laughs> I, I always hope there's kind of a somewhat of an awkward silence before they get to their name. I don't know. The awkwardness is what makes this segment work. We should, um, if you know, we do this a bunch more times, just sort of time it out. Go one second, five seconds, and see what the sweet spot is. I also, I've retweaked them in editing, too. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter how long you actually... No, I can retweak it however I want it to be. So if I want want it to be short, I can. Uh, And I, I listen to the way it's delivered and decide from there. Like, I think there's there's an early episode of the show where, uh... My co-host Nick was—he was confused because he was getting used to the structure. Because I never ran past what I was gonna do. I yeah. just started reading the intro, and he was like, "Nick," <laughs> and I put an unnecessarily long amount of time in there. <laughs> I love it. So I listen to how the name is said, and then decide from there. So it's a little inside baseball for everyone listening about how editing a podcast works. It's all fake. The podcast is fake, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Anyways, on today's episode, we'll be discussing a revisionist western from 1973, High Plains Drifter. Directed by Clint Eastwood from a screenplay by Oscar winner Ernest Tidyman, High Plains Drifter is about a stranger with no name in search of a bottle of whiskey and a pill to lay his head. The town the stranger finds is a small lakeside mining town named Lago. The stranger is barely in town a couple of minutes before a drunken gang of hoodlums pick a fight their mouths can't cash, and they're all picked off in a quick gunfight. While in Lago, the stranger learns this town is in dire need of a quick hand to help them take out three outlaws that are plotting revenge against them. The stranger has no interest in helping until the sheriff and mayor offer him anything he wants from the town free of charge. All pretty standard western fodder, that is, until we learn about Lago's dirty secret that they'd do anything to keep private. Will the stranger help them, or will he just use them? Even the citizens of Lago aren't sure. High Plains Drifter is Eastwood's second directorial effort, and the first western he had directed, followed by Pale Rider, The Outlaw Josie Wales, and Unforgiven. Many consider Eastwood's gruesome yet haunting High Plains Drifter to be one of his best films, and the film still holds a staggering 96% in Rotten Tomatoes. That being said, the film isn't universally loved, and many consider the film to be more derivative than visionary. One such detractor was John Wayne, who thought Eastwood's vision of the West was a cesspool filled with murderers and immoral jerks. Regardless, the film is considered a classic and is worth discussion. High Plains Drifter stars Clint Eastwood, Verna Bloom, Mariana Hill, Billy Curtis, and Buddy Van Horn amongst a slew of other character actors and features a beautiful score by Dee Barton and cinematography by Bruce Surtees. A drifter came riding out of the West. You know him as Clint Eastwood. The citizens of Lago didn't know him at all. What did you say your name was again? I didn't. Fear was in their greeting. Murder was in their minds. We're talking about hiring a gunfighter. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? You don't want to get shot. You don't want your shops or your houses burned. You don't want your women touched. 
don't want anything to happen. Except you're afraid to do anything about it. That stranger's got everybody in this town at each other's throats. One man against one town. Not bad odds. About time this town has a new sheriff. I'm the sheriff. And the mayor. The man, the mayor. Any objections? No. Oh. shot my ear off! I'll kill every man in You know what you are. You're an animal. Well, you have a way of bringing that out. It was actually harder than I thought to sum that this film up for some reason because it's it's a film that not a whole lot happens, but at the same time a lot happens. And you, while the show is not above spoiling stuff, it's like I don't want to spoil it in the write up. I don't know. Well, sure, yeah, yeah, not in the write up in the conversation though. To me, you know, I'd watched this a few weeks ago. Um, growing up, it was my favorite western. Uh, because my step, I mean, I grew up on westerns with my stepdad. He was primarily into Eastwood, like some John Wayne, but was big into Eastwood. Um, and this was his favorite western. Um, so we watched it countless times, and I fell in love with it. But I always watched the TV version. Oh, and, oh I bet that was a very different cut of um, this film. And watching it again now, I'm like, this is not a movie that could be made today. No. Because uh, within, uh, I don't know how much <laughs> we want to d- just dive right in, but, you know, I think within, what, 10 minutes of the film, Clint Eastwood, who is the protagonist, is like, he rapes a woman, and nothing is ever done about it. It's sort of like, it's an interesting, like, moral ambiguity that I appreciate in a, in a film just because it's like that's kind of how the west was i like that you can make a picture of the west that has this weird moral ambiguity but i think in today's day and age it would be sort of lambasted for not having him suffer any consequences for his actions and me and amanda have had um quite a bit few discussions about it and one thing i will say uh since this movie was on my shame list and i told you that eastwood's directorial films are kind of a blind spot for me and um so we picked this one i will say that that scene is one of the reasons that it's hard for me to rank this film higher like uh, i use letterboxd to keep track of everything i'm watching and i like to give things reviews even though i don't view myself as a critic it just kind of make allows me to try to view critically and i only gave this film like two and a half it's teeters on three stars and a big part of that is that scene and 
it's it's even more frustrating that nothing really becomes of it because in, in the script it's you know they have uh i'm not recalling the woman's name that i think her name was like claire something started with a C, I thought the woman he does it to mm -hmm. and she tr she 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 brings it up with the town council they don't do anything so it's written into the script that this is something that's wrong and it's it's so that's what makes it even more frustrating. It's not just it happens and then no, it's never mentioned again. She's trying to get what's the word justification? Not justification. Um, justice. Justice for it, and <clears throat> she can't. And that bothers me even more. But maybe because I had this thought too, because it bothered me right away when I was watching it. But as the film goes on and she's bringing it up to all these people, and nothing is done of it. I'm like, maybe that's the point. Right. Well, I mean, I guess I guess what bothered me more about that scene was towards the end, she seemed like she was enjoying it, and then it led to them getting together later. Like, that yeah. part was kind of weird for me, that sequence. But the town people not responding to it, I feel like, just solidified the fact, like, they had someone murdered, and they just watched that happen. So, like, that just shows that that's just the kind of people these are like they don't step in and stop bad things from happening yeah so like i feel like that part didn't really bother me that they didn't really answer her issues because it just added to who they were Down there, sounding out that stranger. She's coming in there, blasting away like I see All right, all right, Sam, all right. Come on, let him get away with this, aren't you? Be a little patient, will you? Patient? Callie, when you run across a man who's used to having his own way, you let him have it until he goes too far. Just what do you consider going too far? I mean, isn't forcible rape in broad daylight a misdemeanor in this town? There's too much at stake to throw away on hysterics now. Well, I can remember some hysterics one night not too long ago. Kelly, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Morgan, get her out of here. I'll see you later. Yeah. Not while that squinty-eyed son of a bitch is still breathing, you won't! You wonder if there's a man left in this town! I mean, what out of that god man with a fault and a balls! Yeah, it's just strange to see the like protagonist be the one doing it. No, it's yeah, it's really weird. And I, I guess I'm kind of happy that we're tackling this topic early because as I was doing my research and I was reading other people's reviews, uh, there's review I've read reviews that focused a lot on it on that topic, and there's some that just brushed it over and like this movie's a five star western and uh, whatever about that scene, um, because it's like I said this that is the scene that ultimately. Um, I said, makes it hard for me to consider this film a classic. However, it's there. It's weird. This is a film that I've got very mixed feelings about from the beginning, but it's one that I do want to rewatch again. Okay. Maybe not necessarily right away, but it's it's one that I'm not gonna be like, oh, I have no interest in ever. I don't know. There's enough to it that I did appreciate, but like I said, I want to at least get past this subject early on. And um, one thing I, I do have to say is slightly fascinating about not only that scene, but then just a lot of the violence in general in this film 
is it's very conservatively shot. Mm-hmm. Like, while that scene is very hard to watch, he doesn't show a whole lot. Same thing with a lot of the violent scenes. It's like he's... I don't even want to use this ter- uh, this expression, but I can't think of a better way to say it. There is almost a soft touch to it. Sure. And it's, it's 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 an interesting considering Eastwood came up in, you know, with the spaghetti westerns, which do not turn a blind eye to anything. Um, but Well, and as yeah. a film that has such a, like, pessimistic view of the West, too, and yet it's still restrained um, from showing everything is kind of interesting. Right. And then, like, one thing that me and Amanda were talking about was, you know, it's going to lead into your discussion on the on the, into the film further a little bit later on, and I'll touch back on this again, is they wanted to show Clint Eastwood's character doing something morally wrong, and what do you do in, a, in movies where it's people shoot each other with no question? It's like murder is not a big deal in these movies. So it's like, what's... What's the, like, because, you know, you, I don't think there's ever been a West where someone hasn't just gotten shot for no reason. <laughs> so it's like, what else do you do? Yeah. Unfortunately, you have to take that next step. So it's like, it's very, very conflicting views because, you know, there have been movies where they've used the um, the inclusion of a rape scene to further their story. Most times I think it's thrown in unnecessarily. Um but there are times where it's been used effectively. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's a tool that that a lot of filmmakers use without without putting much thought into it. Right. And I unfortunately do not know. And I, I've tried to find interviews of Eastwood from this time period, and there aren't many. Um, I don't know which one it is. Sure. Yeah, it's a difficult thing because part of me is like, well, if the idea isn't that you're necessarily supposed to like this character, but that this character who, you know, is the man with no name, um, sort of an apparition, mm-hmm. um, is just there to test this this uh, town. You certainly have that. You know, you have that in all of its black, whites, and grays. I mean, it's sort of like, he's not just, I guess I didn't see it as him testing them. It's revenge. Yes, absolutely. Like, I mean, what they all did to him and he just takes advantage of everything they have in literal ways and actually just taking like stuff. And actually, and there's, um, before we, cause we're kind of tickling on a topic that's going to lead to the, uh, there's a quote I actually wanted to read that I thought, um, it was a, a very well-written review of the film and they kind of had some of the similar thoughts I did were, you know, for everything good, the film did this, the inclusion of that scene kind of, cause you could have told the same story without it. Oh, sure. Um, and I really, there's, there's a paragraph, so it's a little bit hefty, but I think this guy does a really good job in explaining that not only does this scene, that scene, you know, um, just it's just a frivolous scene that's added with the writer thinks for no reason, but he also says the entire film um, gives a good clue into what the filmmaker's opinion on rape is in general. So, hmm, okay. So like I said, it's a little bit long, so bear with me. Eastwood's character, though a sociopathic monster and a rapist, is the film's moral center, which says a lot about what a morally bankrupt movie like this is. He's meant to be the voice of of conscience who rides in the town and exacts vengeance on those who once stood by and watched while a man was killed. 
The revenge theme provides a justification for everything that happens subsequently, especially since the finale draws an explicit link between the unnamed drifter and the dead man, even suggesting, as the stranger fades away into a hazy mirage in the desert, that he's the reincarnation of the noble murdered man. The film keeps implying that, uh, while what the stranger does is despicable, in some ways these people deserve what they get, that they were asking for it. That's precisely the film's attitude about rape, for sure. And what the stranger does to the town as a whole is akin to rape as well. The violation of the community as, a, as an entity. The stranger comes to the town and rapes not only the women, but the town as a whole, and the film suggests that maybe this is all right. The filmmaking frames most of the stranger's behaviors as a big joke, with Eastwood's self-satisfied smirk as the rim shot through the punchline. Eastwood encourages the audience to laugh along with the strangers as he humiliates, punishes and torments the townspeople in revenge for their own horrible deeds. And that was uh, from an article written by Only the Cinema, and the author's name is Ed Howard. It's a... It's a deserved perspective or critique on that. It really is. Um, you know, I think a lot of... A lot of that film, too, what he does to the town... After that scene... You're kind, like, for me at least, watching it again, I'm like, this dude's just a jerk. And it's not until later in the film that you do start to turn and start to sympathize. Go, oh, yeah, these people kind of deserve it. But it's it takes a long time to sort of get there because of of how they present that character. In the and then it's actually even funny, like, you think about, like, the couple... I, I'm using air quotes, nice things he does, you know, like helping out the Native American family. He only does it because he sees it pisses off the town. I don't think he does it because he's got a good yeah. heart. He's like, oh, this annoys them. Let me give them candy. Well, if he does do it because it's the right thing to do, if you think about it, they he's getting revenge, but those people weren't involved in what happened to him. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like he still could be a nice person. He still could you know, to the people that deserve it, but the people in the town don't. Yeah, it's tough because it is, at, at one way, it's, it is saying, like, this town does not care about minorities. It doesn't care about its women. It doesn't care about um, people that, you know, are, are born different in terms of, like, uh, the small person. And it's Mordecai, it's, right? And it's saying all that stuff, but at the same time, it's saying it through a vessel of a of a human that um, doesn't really. You don't get the sense that he really cares. He's just showing them. And then I I guess one thing hypocrisy. that we can definitely say that's being done here is Eastwood is playing with his own image. You know, because at this point he is one of the biggest western stars in the world and actually probably just one of the biggest stars in the world because he had done all leone's westerns he had done at least one dirty harry movie of don siegel escape from alcatraz he is one of the most notable known faces at this point in mm -hmm. cinema probably ironically him and burt reynolds are probably the two of the most famous actors of all time and then john wayne being the older guard and you know, while his characters in Leone's Westerns was always kind of cool, calm, and collective, and had a pretty obvious moral center, you know, he while he wasn't always a 
the you know the ride into town and do what's best john wayne character in the good the bad and the ugly out of those three he was the most morally good out of all of them right and you know this being a revisionist western i feel like eastwood's playing with that he's like well here's what you all view me as so much so that he's playing the character very much like like the man of no name and it's not anything to do with eastwood's acting because he's shown in plenty of films that he's got quite a range he could play more than just this character the character doesn't say much but he's doing it to prod yeah i will say i think i will always respect this movie for taking these weird character risks and of just presenting everyone as kind of all shades of awful even its protagonist (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know why that was funny there is something about that that uh, is risky and is different and I think I'll always appreciate the film because of that even if it rubs me the wrong way I'm like maybe that's a good thing and and I guess you know I, and I'm always an advocate for and I, I, yeah, I guess I want to clarify that the the fact that the film frustrated me is not necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. uh, because I'm always an advocate for sometimes being offended yeah because that's what that's what good art is supposed to do um, for me, it's, it's, there's a line that you can ride. And like, there's a lot of cheaply made independent horror films that will do it just to be nasty and hurtful. Right. But then there's other films that like, say like West Craven, what not West, West Craven, or if you go back and watch the last house in the left, while it's a really vile and hard to watch movie, he's got such a sensitive touch to the subject of rape and even though the entire film was focused on that it's because he he he's trying to comment on it um so there's times where i think there's there's good there's there's ways to offend offend in a good way and fend just because you're kind of a bad person and you're not commenting on it so like i i have a weird respect for this film too because like so um eastwood is definitely inspired by his two mentors leone and don siegel and Don Siegel has also made a bunch of westerns, but no one has genre bended as much as he did in this film, to to my knowledge. And if someone's listening and can correct me on that, please do. I can't think of many examples before this where they've tried to add a a supernatural, almost horror element to it. And a big part of that is D. Barton's score, which at times feel, felt like it could have very easily been put in another in in a horror film, and it would work.
Yeah, absolutely. This score was really cool. Mm -hmm. I liked it a lot. It is a really just fun, weird kind of thing. And then there's like there's there's little filmmaking flourishes that Eastwood does in the film as well, where um at the at the at the very end when he finally does kind of come in and save the day and i'm using air quotes again when he's he's whipping one of the three bad guys he we don't see it happening we hear it off camera but since we had we've been almost assaulted by these flashbacks where the most prominent sound is whipping and then it just kind of does this great cut to everyone's faces when they're recalling that sound and what it represents and that it's also showing that Eastwood's character of the stranger knows what happened because it's a very deliberate thing. Yep. Yeah, he's like um, throwing it in their face like this. You know, I know what you did. It, it's it's like this is really good direction. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I I feel like the t the topic that we're all kind of walking around is Eastwood's relationship. Eastwood's character's relationship to this town. Um. I had to I, I had to do a little bit of reading. Amanda did a little bit of reading before I could really point out. Like, I ne I didn't get fully that Eastwood's character is supposed to be a reincarnation of the sheriff at first. Mm -hmm. um, I remember reading that Eastwood talks about that Ernest Tidyman's original draft has Eastwood as a brother okay. to the sheriff, but Eastwood kind of took like a Nicholas Winding Refn approach where he's like any any useless piece of information let's remove and just kind of add ambiguity to it. Um, and I know that Eastwood definitely believes his character's reincarnation so much so that um, Buddy Van Horn, who plays the the marshal, the marshal that gets whipped to death, was his stuntman. Yeah, that's right. So he cast his own stuntman who that's looks cool. vaguely like him to kind of attack to you know to really attack that thought but never explicitly says it because mm -hmm. like um because i first because that that ending line is what made me think that is maybe because you know it's <laughs> yeah like oh well you never told me your name you know what my name is and then i could have sworn uh mordecai says something like you got it general or something like that it was like was that a nickname that he was calling throughout the film because the like i like I thought that's what he meant it was like oh i've been calling you general or some crap and i i didn't get that you know marshall whatever whatever like once someone else uh pointed out like the um the reasons why and i was like oh shit that is a very obvious but not too like yeah it's like, oh that makes complete sense now yeah i feel like i would have gotten it the second time we watched it if yeah. we had watched it a second time after seeing the whole thing but i didn't really but like after reading about it and someone was talking about how you know his last line was like damn you all to hell and then he like literally turned the town into hell and it's like i feel dumb for not seeing that well because it's not it's like <laughs> it's not, not subtle it's not subtle at all and like it's amusing that i didn't catch it right away <laughs> because of how not subtle it is but it's subtle it's it's subtle enough for a western because westerns are anything but subtle i i do want to say i should put an emphasis a very big emphasis on this i grew up with the tv version of this film what and, did they have in the tv like or well, not have? and i should also say i grew you know i was a very little kid so i could have missed things like i don't remember the rape thing but that could also be a little kid not seeing it so i just playing in the hay i'm sure that won't have been in the tv oh, oh no oh no either so it probably wasn't there yeah but so 
I, I say that because I'm going to say this next point, which after our whole beginning conversation is going to be kind of weird. I thought he was Jesus. Um, okay. <laughs> because okay, yeah. <clears throat> you have like the town sort of represents like the, the, um, oh, why am I forgetting? The Pharisees, the, the rulers that didn't, that uh, were all about the money and all about all this stuff. And they didn't, they looked down upon the poor or the, the lepers and all that. And Eastwood was the one who sort of gave them um, a place, gave the Native Americans a place, gave um, the the deputy a place. And, and then, of course, the whole whipping scene is very, you know, reminiscent of Jesus getting the lashes. Yeah. And then he disappears, you know. So that and painting the town, you know, the whole red, yeah. the religious allegory with all that. So stuff. is that what you like saw when you watched as a kid or is that what you saw when you watched a couple weeks ago? So that's what I saw as a kid. Okay. I was going to say <laughs> <Yes>. like. <laughs> now much different, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it is like it's fascinating that it is this film that can speak on all these different levels yeah. to some degree, but still has this weird moral backlash to right. everything that it's doing yeah has your stepdad seen the normal version so i feel like he has okay so i'm just curious like this because I, I feel like it says a lot different <laughs> i'm assuming what i assume the cuts were made and stuff for tv back then yeah so the the thing that's weird about this story too is like i'm thinking back upon being a kid and i'm almost like positive my stepdad at one point said like oh they didn't show the rape scene okay and i wish i had talked to him before this because i mean this is still his favorite western yeah and i know that he would have some things to say about certain aspects of things call call him up record the phone conversation i'll add it into the episode but no it's it it actually kind of reminds me of um an episode of the brady bunch not necessarily. Well, hold on, hold on. I mean, this this the situation that Kyle's describing reminds me of the Brady Bunch, okay. where um, uh, Billy. Wait, not Billy. Peter. I'm trying to remember the Brady Bunch's name. The kids at the uh, the middle the middle boy. Um, Peter. Peter. Um, where he was super into. I think it was Billy the Kid, mm-hmm. and you know, and some um, Western hero. And uh, he really wanted to stay up late one night and watch some Western movie that was coming on television. And the father was like, oh, I don't know. It's I, I remember this movie from when I was from when I was a little bit younger and it was pretty violent. So it's like, well, let me stay up and watch it with you. And he's like, if you get all your homework done, you know, all that wholesome shit, you can watch the movie. And he's like, gee, Willikers. And he whatever. Um, and it cuts to like, so Peter's on the on the on the floor watching the movie and. Mike sitting on the couch with, with Carol and saying, there's like, oh, this is the scene where he goes and steals the money from this place and burns down the cabin, you know, just telling her uh, in case it gets, you know, that way, giving her context what's happening. And it shows him like walking to the house or something and you hear some gunshots and like they recut and redub the scene. <laughs> so that way he's the hero. And Mike's like, that's not what happened in this film. He's like he's a he's a bad guy, and the whole point of the film was this bad guy getting his comeuppance in the end, and they've recut the film for him to be a good guy. Interesting. Yeah, so that's what that's how it reminds me of the Brady Bunch. That's interesting. It's yeah. a very deep poll, but uh, I've noticed that this living room 
brings up the Brady Bunch quite a bit because <laughs> Kyle records another podcast called Cigars and Conversations, which I listen to, and they've brought up the Brady Bunch a couple, at least once or twice on that show. Yeah, it's funny because that come up on a wrestling podcast. <laughs> you know, I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> well, because back in back in the day, having wrestler wrestlers having cameos in TV shows was common, oh, and sure. um. One of the guys, Derek, he was like, they never did a Brady Bunch one. And he pitches like a perfect Brady Bunch episode with a wrestler. So much so that like, I feel like just out of jest, it should be shot. I always tune out at those parts because I didn't get into the Brady Bunch. I never watched the Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch was my shit. Like, I was such a lame kid. I'd be, I was, I was kind of like one of the Brady kids. I was like, if I get all my homework done, can I stay up late and watch the Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii? Yeah. I just stayed up. <laughs> I didn't have a bad time. I did. She'll shut up. <laughs> nice. As long as I got up for school, no one cared what time I went to bed. And I got A's, so no one cared when or where I did my homework. When or where? Like, I just imagine you're doing it in a back alley somewhere. <laughs> I could do my homework when and wherever I want. When you when you were trying to figure out the kid's name, were you uh, going through the Brady Bunch Sponge song? Because it kind of looked like that's what you yeah. were watching. <laughs> I was. Oh, shut up. <laughs> so I don't know if you've talked about this in previous podcasts. I'm trying to remember if you've covered other Westerns. Um, uh, actually, we have not. I've wanted to cover West more Westerns because I like them. And there's so many out there that I haven't seen. No, this is the first time covering a Western on the show. So, you know, we've kind of discussed this a little bit, but I'm just trying to remember. I, and Amanda, I don't know how you grew up, but did you grow up with Westerns and which types of Westerns? Like I grew up with Eastwood, obviously. I didn't. I had never really watched a Western until I met Michael. Okay. Like I grew up with mostly like 80s action films. Sure. My dad was born in 71, so that's was like his teenage like young adulthood yeah and he they had me when they were like 20 21 so okay so what did what's your you know i don't know what westerns you've all seen but now that you've you've seen a few at least yeah what's sort of your opinion of this genre that's now almost lost to current american um i mean i've enjoyed all of them that we've seen i feel like it hasn't been that much we i know we've watched the good and the bad and the ugly uh and we watched bone tomahawk Bone Tomahawk was nuts. I guess I didn't really think of that as a Western, but I suppose it is. Yeah, that's on my shame list. It's super good. It's yeah. nuts. Like, you got to see it. I'm trying to think of this other one. I, and funny enough, like, I've watched quite a few <clears throat> since we've been together, but it'll be like after you've gone to bed and if I'm not tired or when I'm home, like, because I recently watched Big Jake with uh, with John Wayne. I've I don't know how many more you have seen. Yeah, I feel like it hasn't been a whole lot just because of how long they are. And that's, yeah. we usually don't have that much time commitment or it's closer to bed and I can't stay up that late because I'm old. But not having a bedtime early on has affected you now. <laughs> Whatever. You're older than me, so. <laughs> yeah, I can usually stay up later. And I can get Those up for times. work earlier. <laughs> nice. Fair point. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, they, I've had fun with the ones that I've seen. I think The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I think, was probably my favorite. Or I suppose Bone Tomahawk, now that that is classified as a Western. Um, but this one was definitely different than what I expected it to be. 
And one thing I'm sure you're seeing now is that as you're watching through some more classic westerns, you're seeing the tropes and other things. It's like when I started getting more into westerns, I I, I can't not see the first Star Wars film as a western. I oh, mean, sure. I feel like everyone knows the western tropes, whether they've watched rust westerns or not. They're very yeah, fair enough. That's a good point. Like they're they're very stereotypical. Yeah. I mean, and I watched Firefly, and that's a western basically. Yeah. So, I absolutely. mean, like like those tropes I knew. Right. Would you consider their uh, uh, No Country for Old Men a revisionist Western? Because it's not technically a Western in times of time period, but it's shot as a Western in the West. Yeah, I think I would. Um, it's it's strange. It's contemporary Western. Right. That's how I would categorize it as this contemporary Western. Although, like, yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I th- but you know I think anything that like takes place in a desert with some sheriffs or whatever <laughs> is like, and if it takes place nowadays is like a contemporary western. Right. Well, is it um? What was that one movie that came out? Hell or High Water. No, okay. it was in theaters a couple of years ago. Give me something R. else to go off of. I thought it was an R. I don't remember. But I feel like that kind of reminds me of a Western. <laughs> Not that anyone knows. Uh, <laughs> do you remember anything else about it? I don't remember the guy that's in it, but <laughs> it was at the Oscars. I remember that that year. I feel like it was Hell or High Water. No, it's with an R. That movie's great. I just... Howdy, ma'am. How you doing today? Hot, and I don't mean the good kind. So what don't you want? Pardon? What don't you want? Oh, well, uh, I think I'll just, uh... You know, I've been working here for 44 years. Ain't nobody ever ordered nothing but T-bone steak and a baked potato. Except this one asshole from New York tried to order trout back in 1987. We don't sell no goddamn trout. T-bone steaks. So either you don't want the corn on the cob... Or you don't want the green beans. So what don't you want? I don't want green beans. I don't want green beans either. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked that just a little? That want no question. All right. Iced tea for you boys. Iced tea be great. Iced tea, yeah, thank you, ma'am. Uh-huh. I did I like... That. You oh. did. It was the who? God, who was? I know. Um, Jeff Bridges, Bridges was in it. Chris Pine. It was about the two brothers who are, tr- are trying to rob banks, and then okay. Jeff Bridges is the sheriff who's after them, yeah. but has a weird respect for them, so is not like pursuing yeah. them as hard okay. as he could. I don't. I liked it a lot though. It's um, kind of funny that I didn't watch more westerns though, because I absolutely like I wanted to grow up and be a cowgirl. <laughs> like when fantastic. I was, when I was really little, like I think. Like five or six, I remember I had like a cowgirl like clothes that I would wear all the time, and I had like one of those horses on a stick, but mine was a zebra. Yes. Because nice. why would I have a real horse if I could have a zebra? Of course. <laughs> and then for me, growing up, I I did grow up with westerns. Revenant. Revenant. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We uh we had that count because it kind of reminds me of one. Yeah. So that's like, I kind of consider it that way even though it's more, you know it's like this weird frontiersman film yeah so it, it cross similar bounds but though yeah, yeah it definitely does and it's something that i like ah it is a real I movie i didn't just make it up 
I love films that take place in that era and then into the Western yeah. era. And they do kind of blend because it's about like being in this wilderness and... Right. It's not quite like the desert, but it's a similar like man versus nature kind of... Yeah. And then growing up with like... Because I grew up on the Eastwood Westerns, you grow up on these sort of gritty views of being out in the wild. Yeah. Um, and that... And it's just so much dirtier in Eastwood's movies. Yeah. And the Rev... <laughs> you know, and the Revenant is definitely... Yeah. You know, a very gritty like realistic version of of that time period right whereas john wayne which i'm sure you can kind of talk about michael is much more of the like good is good bad is bad and is sort of where the a lot of these tropes of westerns come from is sort of john wayne's um right john wayne's film hateful eight oh hateful totally. it's a western yeah 100 yeah, that was my favorite then because i love the hateful eight so much yeah, I think out of newer ones, uh, it'd be Hateful Eight or Django, which, you know, because uh, not many people are making yeah. westerns anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of out of Hateful Eight, Django, and and Bone Tomahawk, it's part of me still choosing Bone Tomahawk, but like over co- Hateful Eight, really? I've only I, I want to rewatch Hateful Eight. I feel like it would probably take the number one we spot. We only watched Bone Tomahawk once too, didn't we? I know, but Bone Tomahawk was just so shocking. Oh no, it was. We need to just watch that yeah for one of these next time i agree um but no like you're saying about john wayne yeah that's what i grew up on and i'll be the first to admit when i was younger i, I didn't like westerns sure nor did he watch a lot of movies but if there was a western on that was probably one of the, pretty much one of the few things that could keep his attention yeah and like i remember like um mcclintock being one that my <laughs> parents really liked because it's john wayne in a western comedy which just sounds absurd <laughs> Like, I feel like I need to see this because it just sounds goofy as fuck. John Wayne doing a lampoon of Westerns. <laughs> um, and then uh, what was the one that the Coen Brothers remade? Uh, True, True Grit. Grit. Um, it's funny. I've got a, I like both versions of True yeah. Grit, but I feel like if you were to if you were to cut the two into one movie, you'd have a really good movie. Because <laughs> in the Coen Brothers version of True Grit, I hate I really hate Jeff Bridges performance. Okay. It kind of annoys me because it's just, it's the same performance Jeff Bridges does in every movie when he's playing an old coot. <laughs> um, but yet, in the original version, I hate the little girl's performance yes. with a passion, yes. but I really like John Wayne in that movie. And I was like, somewhere in between these two movies, there's a fantastic <laughs> movie. Because they're both really good for different reasons. Well, I saw John Wayne's True Grit right before seeing the Coen Brothers because I was like, oh, wait, this is one I haven't seen and it's a classic. And I came out of the Coen Brothers film not knowing which one I liked more because I like them both a lot. But I have the same sort of reservation, especially about the um, the little girl in in the original True Grit is annoying as hell. Yeah, like the one in the in the little girl in the new True Grit is she's so great. she's probably one of the best parts about that movie. Yep. And it's interesting what you're talking about the Eastwood westerns versus the John Wayne westerns. Now Eastwoods are a lot more. He's definitely it's definitely the anti-hero character. Mm-hmm. Well, John Wayne, uh, one thing that he does really good is he'll have a character that's kind of an asshole. Say, um, I'm I'm gonna use Big Jake as an example because it's the one I, I watched most recently. There's also um. Not stagecoach. What's the uh, the searchers, where he's not necessarily a good person oh, sure. in either one of these movies. Because like in Big Jake, he is, um, he is the estranged father of the of of this family, that 
has been gone for a long because he pretty much realized the you know being out in the west is what he he doesn't want to he doesn't want to settle down so he fathered these kids and essentially just fucking left because that's you know it's kind of like that old allegory of the old man in the sea you know nothing on shore is going to keep them away from that and um one of i think there's a kidnapping um and of john wayne's grandson so not only does he find out he has a grandson, but they call. It's like someone's got to call for Big Jake. So they send a message through the the West, which just seems so fucking weird. It's like send a message through the West, and it's just like what does that mean? It's a, it's just people like you know go to town and start asking about if anyone knows where Big Jake is, and then you ask enough people, and eventually that's it's, impractical as shit. It's the old West. Telegrams. They only had like three telegrams in the entire country. Um, and then he'd come up and, you know, a big a big portion of the movie is them pretty much saying, you're a terrible father, you're even worse grandfather, you're a piece of shit, you just smell bad and you're a drunk. But, you know, in the end, he's kind of like this charming piece of shit where he will come up and, you know, pretty much admit to all of his faults and then save the day in the end. So it's like there's, it's, 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 it's still pretty black and white. There's a little bit of gray, but not nearly as much as the Eastwood Westerns. Um, is so that's the one with Ron Howard. No, that's the Cowboys. That's the only film where John Wayne was killed. And to this day, uh, both my well, my dad's no longer with us, but my mom and dad do not like Bruce Dern because he's the one. He's the only man to sure? kill John Wayne in a movie. I really, yes, <laughs> I swear to God, that's the whole reason not to like someone because of a movie. Yes, <laughs> that movie I thought was great, and yes. you know, in general, like. Because my stepdad started watching more John Wayne films, it seemed like as I got older, he started getting more into that. Because his his father was. It's it's funny though because like I remember when I started getting into getting westerns, it was spaghetti westerns that got me into yep, the genre. Me too. Uh, because not only I think they were shot really interestingly, even when they weren't shot well, they the Italians were just so fucking weird and crazy with their shooting that they would do just interesting things. Um, they're a lot more violent, which is. I hate to admit, but the violence is what got me into of the course. spaghetti westerns, and then I started realizing the things I liked about them. Um, and I remember, like, when I told when my mom was like, "You like westerns now?" Um, <laughs> she says that about everything. I she know. Never knows what you like. And then I was like, "Is like, yeah, but I really like the spaghetti westerns." She's like, "Oh, those are the those are the really cheesy ones." And I was like, "I I, I disagree." But then getting in, into spaghetti westerns, and then going back and checking out some of the American westerns, it's like, "Oh, there are things that like." I remember I recommended to you to watch Stagecoach. Yep. And how I thought, like, while it does have a lot of the tropes of the American Western and has some of the, like, the cheesier aspects of it, there's a lot of really good in that film. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Uh, one, I think my favorite John Wayne Western is Rio Bravo. Which is actually, I just bought. <laughs> yeah. Because I bought it on Blu-ray. Because there's, Carp- there's a John Carpenter commentary on it. Because uh, Rio Bravo is John Carpenter's favorite movie. Why of all the westerns did you pick this one? Well, I have to go back again to a 10-year-old kid going to the movies on Saturday afternoon in downtown Bowling Green, and there was Rio Bravo. And I, I will never forget the, the effect of seeing that film. And I went again. They held over Rio Bravo in my small town for another yeah. week, and I went back again. And then later, of course, in film school, again, I revisited this, knowing more about Howard Hawks. And I love this Western. I love it. I love everything. Well, why about do you think it. as a kid this one particularly grabbed you so much? 
It's a really good question. I think because part of, of Hawks's drive as a creator was groups of people who have to survive under pressure. And literally, this was the sheriff, John Wayne, his drunken deputy, Dean Martin, Walter Brennan, unbelievable character actor, really funny. Again, another, uh, the jailer. And they had to survive inside this jail against forces of evil outside. It's something that appealed a great deal to mm -hmm. me, not just in Westerns, but that, that general plot. I've remade that a hundred times myself as a horror film, so. This plot? This plot, really? oh yeah. People trapped someplace, and outside is the forces of evil are gonna come and get them. But there was, uh, there, there was the measure of what a professional is and does in this film. Mm -hmm. That was what Howard Hawks was about a lot. Are you good enough, John Wayne says to Dean Martin at one point, are you good enough to do the job? Are, are you competent enough? Are you up to it? Or have you let the demons that bother you drag you down? That's awesome. And that's like a, isn't that a remake of, of a, of a, previous Rio something? It might have been, and then Assault on Precinct 13 is essentially a, a, an adaptation of Rio Bravo. Yeah. Really? Yeah. John Carpenter said, oh, I just essentially ripped off the story. <laughs> so there's a, yeah, I, I've got a big fondness for Westerns, I think, growing up. Um, just gave, with that, with Westerns always playing, it's sort of been this genre that that I've loved, even though I haven't seeked out all of the new like westerns that are available like hostiles just came on netflix i'm extremely oh, one of christian bale that. that we wanted to see hostiles yeah. were oh i remember the trailers for that, that yeah really we good. really wanted to see Me it too yeah if you want to see classic westerns do you have amazon prime oh yeah you can search by genres on amazon prime go to westerns and there will be a plethora almost everything i've watched Western-wise, like an old Western, I've watched on there. They've got everything from the 30s and 40s Westerns. Uh, they've got a shit ton of spaghetti Westerns on there. And everything in between, nice. too. So they got some, like, I don't remember the name of the film. Um, there's, like, a 70s Western with du with Dustin Hoffman playing, like, a Native American or something. Oh, yeah. That's on there. Like, there's just so much stuff on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, not that they're sponsoring the show, but they should be, <laughs> has got one of the most unique film collections out of any of the streaming services. And a big part of that is, too, because they will do... They'll, they will they have movies that never made off VHS because they'll scan the VHS and put it up on their service. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it seems like Amazon Prime has become the way to go for, like, older films now. And then there's companies like I like, like, like Blue Underground. They have they they put out the release of Deep Red that you have. Sure. They have their entire catalog, up to stream. Cool on Amazon. Arrow Video puts a lot of their stuff up to stream. That's cool. Not necessarily their new releases, but some of the small. Like, I I was morbidly curious by their release of Microwave Massacre, and I was like, I don't know if I'd buy this, but I'd watch it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are your sort of, what are your favorite? I feel like you're leading this episode. It's yeah, nice. I don't have to do as much work. <laughs> it's nice. Well, it's. It's funny because we've talked a little bit about Westerns in the past, yeah. you and me personally, but I think it's it's fun knowing that you've seen a bunch, but that we haven't had some of these conversations yet. Yeah, it's funny. But, we've both seen a lot, but there's very few that we have both seen, I'm, I'm realizing. Yeah. Uh, what uh, Out of the Eastwood Westerns, what have you seen? What are some of your favorites? Uh, give me a second. got to pull up a list. <laughs> yeah. The man has been in a lot of 
lot of movies. So here, talk for a moment. Amanda, what have you seen? <laughs> I, I think guess, we already covered that. <laughs> that's right. Um, I guess not I, much. If anything, if this, I can. Uh, this is this I is will dead say, air. I can cut this out. I will say Clint Eastwood did, did not look how I thought he was going to look. Explain that. For uh, the me. way he looks now as a crotchety old man is how I figured he always looked. <laughs> yes. Honestly, not as the dashing. No, like. You gotta admit, he was a really handsome man back in the day. He yeah, he, he's a shell of his former self. <laughs> but like. When I first saw, I didn't. I would have never guessed that that was that would have been him if you just would have showed me a picture. Yeah. But then, like when I, I forget what I was looking up. I think I was curious if he had like kids, which he has a lot, by the way. Yeah. Um, and they're younger than me, which is crazy because he's like eighty-eight. I know it's nuts. <laughs> um, but yeah, the way he looks now with his like puffy white hair that's mostly gone and just sticks out everywhere, it's like that's how I honestly figured he always looked. I'm looking at the list of. I thought I had seen more Eastwood Westerns, and he's only been... Granted, this is an IMD list that someone compiled, okay. and it's not including the television work he did, but he'd only been in 21 Westerns. I know, I just say only 21. Only but you look at, like, John Wayne's career, he, like, Eastwood needs to step up his game That's a little right. bit. Um, I know I've seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I don't remember which one, if it was for a few dollars more or a fistful of dollars. I've seen one of those two sure. um, when I was younger. I do not remember which one. Um... I've seen Hang 'em High, but I want to rewatch yes, it. That was um, I've been wanting to watch Two Mules for Sister Sarah because it's got an amazing theme song. Uh, and an amazing name. And then The Beguiled, I know, is one that I've been wanting. It's not technically a Western. It's a, a war drama, but it takes place during the Civil War, so yeah. it counts. And um, uh, Sofia Coppola just did a remake of it. Whoa, okay. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I know the plot of it, which I'll read off to you real quick. While imprisoned, it can... In a Confederate girls' boarding school, an injured Union soldier cons his way into each of the lo- lonely women's hearts, causing them to turn on each other and eventually on him. And it's what? it's Don Siegel. Oh, okay. From that the crazy. Yeah, and it's got an amazing cover. Uh, and then High Plains Drifter, but I have not this. I've up until High Plains Drifter, I've not seen any of the movie the westerns he directed. So I've not seen The Pale Rider, The Outlaw Jelly Wales, or Unforgiven. Oh, that. That's what this episode should have been. Should have been Unforgiven? Well, only because it's like when people talk about the best Westerns on their lists, the Unforgiven is generally like between like three and one. It's it's, it's a toss up between Unforgiven or Tombstone, which is another one I have not seen. There, I haven't a, seen There's a period either. of time where I was like just searching out the ones that no one had Because I thought, well... Of course, I'm gonna have an opportunity to see Unforgiven. Or of course, I'm gonna have an opportunity to t- see Tombstone. If you see a Western in a store to buy, it's one of those two: are the good, the bad, and the ugly. Me just being a movie hipster, I guess. I was searching. I was ser- <laughs> specifically searching out the like. I've never seen the Forgotten Pistolero. Let me see that instead. You should. You should create. Now someone else is gonna do it because it's gonna be on this podcast. But you should create. Cut a, this out. You should create a website called the the film hipster or the movie hipster yeah that could be your like review or like written website that's not a bad idea because like um well grant hell i've even needed the name just for the segment where i review like shit from vinegar syndrome because (laughs) all of those movies are movie hipster type things it's stuff no one's ever heard of i found a fun blog when i was looking up uh reviews for or when I was initially looking up High Plains Drifter, and it's called the Clint Eastwood Project. <laughs> and <laughs> This it, one was good. 
The journey of a father and son who search for the meaning of manhood with fast food in every Clint Eastwood movie ever made, even the really shitty ones. <laughs> that sounds like the, something my stepdad and I would their, their, like, review of this was really short and wasn't quite interesting, but, like, <laughs> I was intrigued by the actual blog premise itself. I do have to say, I was looking at through, like, I've got a love-hate thing of Rotten Tomatoes. Like, mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes can be really great because it's a great way to find reviews however it's kind of annoying if the high plains drifter there's no reviews on there from before 2000 yeah so i don't know if it, why it's not compiling the old reviews or if they just the websites just don't have them back back that far excuse me however i was looking through clint eastwood's filmography but of his director act everything you know based on you know the percentage of positive reviews he doesn't have a whole lot of shitty films like, it'll be a lot of red tomatoes and then a couple green splats mm-hmm. mixed in. But he's had a pretty consistent career. So, the, I love Clint Eastwood as a director, even though I haven't seen, like, all of his films. The thing, like, that I respect and love about him is that he is both an auteur and he is... Like, Yet he doesn't believe in the auteur theory, and and he yeah. is like the um, the like everyman director. He sort of like reminds me of of like the the like those workhorse directors that just make films consistently. Yeah, it's kind of like Don Siegel, like his, his one of his inspirations. Where Don Siegel definitely had a style, but he didn't have one genre he stuck. Or even like. I guess like Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks would do westerns. He'd do comedy. He'd do sci-fi. Mm-hmm. He'd do a little bit of everything. But no, the auteur theory is a, a French theory of filmmaking, or the author theory, where you know your your director is the author, and the film is an extension of him. Where everything from the music to the look to the style is very indicative of one man's style. Where Clint Eastwood is very much the thought he believes that he doesn't believe in the auteur theory because he said filmmaking is such a collaborative effort that I can't take yeah. ownership of all of that. Yeah, it's and I I don't know. Part of me even wants to back up on that whole like he's partially auteur i think i maybe say that because he's such an iconic person but he's the one prolific director that i know of that has no style his style is that he has no style his style is that he's gonna do what he thinks is just best for his story not like oh i gotta do a bunch of really long one takes because that's what i'm known for no he's just gonna do what he feels is best to tell the story yeah he's a chameleon which is um kind of what we talked about in the last episode we together duel yeah where the thing we like about say scorsese is he's a chameleon well there are some no so not scorsese sorry uh spielberg he's kind of a chameleon well there are some spielbergian things that he does um you know he doesn't shoot every movie the same way right but they're definitely like Spielberg is all about sentimentality. Like, if you're going to go through almost his whole filmography, that's, like, his sort of namesake, is he likes to be a little overly sentimental, whereas Eastwood, he can have some of those, and then he has a bunch that aren't. And it, yeah, because Eastwood's style is so interesting. Like, his lack of style, I guess, as you're saying, is so fascinating, too, because, like, just the films that he's direct. So, like, you know, I wasn't a big fan of American Sniper, but he did that movie. He did Jersey Boys. He did um, that Tom Hanks movie, Sully. Yeah. Um, he, he just is all over the place. 
with what he finds interesting. Because especially if you look at the early part of his career when he's directing, you know, he was doing a little more action films. and But, like, now he's kind of moved himself into, like, the drama territory. And the and man can, seems to make, he can make a movie about anything. Right. The thing is, is, you know, you, you were saying that on Rotten Tomatoes you see a lot of red and a lot of green. It does seem like recently... You know, I haven't seen any of his films because they don't look that great, to be honest. He's still. Oh, he's still making mm-hmm. movies. He has to have. You're talking about him being 88 or whatever. Yeah. He has to have some sort of like insurance policy on him. Like every film, there needs wow. to be like insurance because of how old he is. The but last movie. Of he his... seems to be doing good. He seems to be like still. The last like... movie of his, I know I've seen for sure. I remember wanting to see Jersey Boys, but I hadn't seen it. Uh, the last one I saw was American Sniper, and I was oh, yeah, I pretty lukewarm on it. I have that's one that I haven't seen that is probably his most popular from now, like the the last decade that I haven't seen. I just um, think about the terrible baby puppet. There's a oh, point where yeah, Bradley right, Cooper has you know his dad holding his newborn baby, and it was a still puppet, so he you can see him moving the baby with his thumb. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> That's so awful. A um, <laughs> little bit. I I really got into Clint Eastwood in um, like the 2000s um, with Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags from Our Fathers. At that point, I didn't really care for war films. So like I didn't see any of those. I just, it's kind of the, I used to have the same stigma with war films that I used to have about Westerns. Sure. Like, oh, these are all going to be really boring. You, Letters from Iwo Jima. So those two films, I don't know how much you know about them, but they're, they're told from flip perspectives. They're supposed to be like, sort of like, how oh, how would you call them? Like, they're not like it's not like one's a sequel to the other, but it's talking about like the sort of is it the Battle of Iwo Jima? I think that's what it is. But one of them's from the side of the American soldiers, and one of them's from the side of the Japanese. That's cool. And that's actually kind of fascinating because knowing what I do about Eastwood's politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it's not often that he lets his politics come through in what he's making. That's true, and he doesn't hear like American either. Sniper is probably the only one where it was a little bit more yeah charged. But like I said, I, I the looking at his career, like I had not noticed that. Like I said, what I know about his politics and his political views, he doesn't usually add much into his movies or the fact that like he's good working friends of Morgan Freeman and they are com- on completely different spectrums of what they believe. Yeah. What's uh with so letters from Iwo Jima, the one that's told from a Japanese perspective, is known as being the better of the two films. And it's sort of the, f- like I feel like it's the first or one of the first, at least the first high profile war film that took World War Two from the side of um, the, was it the Axis, right? The Allies and Axis, yeah. right? Um, so it took the side from the, the Japanese perspective. So usually everything's told from the American or the British perspectives, you know, that were yeah. fending off the Nazis and the Japanese. But um, it's a really just compelling, sometimes hard sort of film to watch. Um, I would but, want to watch that. Yeah, it's honest. It's beautiful. It's way better than Flags from Our Fathers, which is... Okay. Which, you know, it has some merit to its own right, but most of that film 
um, isn't even really about that battle. It's sort of about the aftermath and what that does to people. So it's sort of more about PTSD. Yeah. Is how I felt about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so those films are great. You know, I, and then, I mean, Gran Torino is a so-so movie. Oh, I liked Gran Torino. I forgot he was in that. Yeah. So he, he directed, directed that too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I liked that one. I remember, <laughs> I remember liking Mystic River when I saw it. It's See, been a while since I've seen it though. That one was for some reason one that I didn't like out of like sort of his contemporary films. I don't, and I wish I remembered why I don't like it, but, um, I need the time for a rewatch. Yeah. A million dollar baby is just so damn good. I think I was too young when I saw that movie because I remember renting it and just being bored. And okay. But I well, I wasn't super into film at the time, too. So I think it's just, I don't know. I don't know like what made me rent it, but I, it's definitely one I want to rewatch. Yeah, million dollar baby. I mean, that's another, like, it's difficult to watch because it's sort of brutally honest about this female boxer and what that can do to you and all hmm. this stuff. But the performances are just, I mean, you've got Morgan Freeman, you've got Clint Eastwood, and then you've got Hilary Swank. And they're all like at the top of their game. So just watching them do their shit is enough to be like, this is great. And then Eastwood was really dialed in as a director with that film and how he shot it and the look of it is just gorgeous yeah it's great it's a great film watch it again michael i, I will have to re-put um, it on your shame list yeah it's back on my shame list <laughs> which you know occasionally does happen where there's movies like I, I feel like i've seen that but i want to see it again um so I, let's 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 cycle it back real quick <laughs> at the, towards uh because i feel like we're winding down a little bit on time uh cycle it back to high points drifter and just kind of get like a final thought type thing um i guess i'll start with High Plains Drifter, as I said earlier, it was a movie that I feel like might go up in rating for me. A first viewing, like that, like I said, I think the shock of that that one scene really kind of sullied the rest of the film for me. Even though there was a lot that I did like from it, even though I didn't necessarily like Eastwood's character, but don't think we're meant to really like Eastwood's character. And that that was another thing that was kind of a shock for me is not really liking this character um but i don't know it's i'm i'm fascinated by it and that makes me want to rewatch it like everything from like i said kind of like the slightly supernatural haunting element to it to like i said the movie is just really wonderfully shot mm-hmm. like i think westerns sometimes get a bad rap because so much of it is just out in daylight that you don't know sometimes notice what they're doing with cinematography but there's some really memorable shots in this film and said so that score is great. If I could find the score on vinyl, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, and I'd like to pick it up on Blu-ray because I I feel like I want yeah. to see it in a really high quality print. And if I can find a commentary with Eastwood on this film, I want to hear Eastwood talk about this film. Absolutely. Because uh, I don't know, I, f- I feel like there's there's <clears throat> there's something I'm missing. Well, uh, not to no, cut no, you short or whatever. One thing we didn't talk about is the fact that they built that whole town. Yes. So usually you go to some, like, fake-ass town or you shoot it on sound stages and all that, and he built the whole thing, and it costed him more money to do it, but he's like, no, we got to do it this way. Not only he built the whole town, it's not just exteriors. He built all the interiors as well, so that way they can shoot in every building. So those are full buildings. Like, it's not just, like, the fronts? 
Yeah. So that hotel he blew up, he just blew up a fucking hotel. Mm-hmm. He had him just paint a town red. Yep. <laughs> so he literally was his character. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you gotta paint this red. I know you just finished everything, but now you gotta go back. <laughs> and then the producers are like, we'll give you anything you want. Anything? <laughs> <laughs> Clint Eastwood is the stranger. He's getting he's getting revenge for when he was fired there we early go. on in his career. I told Amanda this story and I love it. Uh, I it might have been at Universal. Um, it was either Universal's or Warner Brothers, where Eastwood was originally working before he became a big star. Before he did went to Europe and did all the westerns. Him and Burt Reynolds were called into a meeting, and were both fired in the same meeting at the same time. And they told, looked at Burt and said, Burt. We're firing you because you can't act. And then they look at Clint and he's like, we're firing you because your Adam's apple is too big and doesn't look good on camera. Which makes me wonder if that's why he's wearing a bandana on his neck <laughs> through most of these movies. Um, and then, you know, they go out and get a drink and everything. And um, eventually Bert turns to Eastwood and says, man, I'm really sorry. And Eastwood's like, why? We were both fired. He's like, yeah, but I can learn to act. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's been my favorite story since I heard that. That's a great story. <laughs> Apparently it was in it was in uh, Burt Reynolds' book, and I was like, if Burt Reynolds' book is just stories like this, I need to read Burt Reynolds' book. <laughs> nice, but no, it's it's yeah, they gave this man everything, like because and in the second film too, because like he did play Misty for me before this, and I don't know if it was a huge hit, but I remember it was pretty well reviewed. Uh, and in his second film, it's like I'm. Just, oh, and the, like another reason they want to shoot in the back lot is to save money. And he's just like, no, I'm just gonna. He just drove around in his truck, just finding a location <laughs> that he liked, and he yep. just found uh, this lake. And he's like, we're gonna shoot it here. If I remember right, it was shot in California, which I was. Yeah. I did not look like how I imagined California to look at yeah. all. <laughs> well, and it's strange to see a. I don't know why this is, but it's strange to see a western take place on a lake. Like, yeah, I was thinking that too. It's like, remind me of holes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the minute you like see that first wide shot, and you're like, was, where the hell but like, are they? But like, I mean, if you think about it, towns usually pop totally. up where there's lakes. Like, it kind of makes more sense for there to be a lake than it to be in yeah. the middle of nowhere. And it, it also did a great job of, of, of creating a, loca- a spatial location. So, mm-hmm. like, later on in the film, when the three bandits escape from jail and they're heading to that town, you see a giant lake on the distance. It's like, oh, that's where they're going. Yep. It, it does a great job of yep. creating a spatial awareness. Totally. And it makes, like you were saying, it makes sense where all these other Westerns technically don't make sense because yeah. they're not on lakes. I mean, I don't it's... know much about Western towns in real life. Like, maybe they didn't always pop up by lakes, but, like, why wouldn't you want to be by a source exactly. of water? <laughs> yeah. So it's, like, this funny, like, logistical thing that when you see it, you're like, this is weird because you don't see this in Westerns. But it also makes sense. Right. <laughs> I had to say I was a little surprised by, like, that you could get, take a bath at a barbershop. Yeah. Oh, that was so weird. Like, and not just take a <laughs> bath, but, like, they're washing you. Yeah. And then the barber had the shakiest. Anytime someone yes. walked in, oh, it's, it's like, oh, I would, I would just, well, I don't shave now anyways, but, like, I would never go to him. One thing that I think is fun about this movie is the cast of characters. Like, between the barber with the the weird comb over and the shaky hands um then the sheriff and then the deputy who's this i just remembered what my other one could have been for you 
for my 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 intro for you yeah and it's like uh and one man who would always pay the extra 10 cents for the lavender oil yes <laughs> <laughs> i was just amused by the sheriff i'm not really a lawman they just gave me the badge <laughs> <laughs> i love how brutally honest he was about it too yep yeah have done that too yeah he's not really a lawman he just got the badge <laughs> damn it there are so many good ones that i missed um you know i love the the sort of cowardly shop owners, the you know those guys are great. Even the um, even the like the bad guys that come to the town at the end of three. Well, because the, they got great faces. Westerns are great because they're filled with characters and yeah. and character actors. It's like once you once you start watching enough westerns from time periods, you see a lot of similar people popping up in different parts, and. Uh, that's part of the fun for me. And same thing with cheap horror films. Uh, Westerns are a little more notorious for it, but you just start, you start seeing all these familiar faces and you start to feel like you, you kind of know them. Yeah. Um, because that's how the studio systems used to work. Like, oh, we need someone to play a drunk. Oh, this guy just played a drunk on my picture. You bring him over. He's great. And, you know, they just cycle people <laughs> through. Because you have a contract with the studio where you have to work with them. And at the time, there was not really auditions. They, like... You were so good at what you did, they gave you a contract, and they just cycled you from picture to picture. Hmm. And I feel like that's one thing that's missing in a lot of movies now, where like we don't have these... We do, but in a different way, these strong character actors. It's so usually, usually, if it's anyone, it's the old guard of people that, like, you know, like oh, we need uh, we need a fidgety old guy. Oh, let's get Christopher Lloyd. But, like, with, with younger actors, since it's so vanity-based now... That I feel like you're you're losing a lot of the the fun ch- opportunities. I do think that there is still typecasting in in filmmaking. Um, there, I, especially if you if you play the nerd, you're sort of typecast as the nerd for a while. Oh yeah, I agree. I think like Jonah Hill is one of those people that sort of he's kind of moved beyond it to, though. Yeah, he's trying you know he's trying to move beyond it, but I think it took him a while just because. That's how people saw him. So he went, "Hey, I'm gonna lose a bunch of weight, and now now people have to." Sort of and Seth Rogen's just completely comfortable just being the stoner guy. Yep, forever. Yep, pays him well. Yeah, and I feel like uh, my girlfriend and I talked about someone else that was typecasted recently, but I don't remember who they are. It definitely happens a lot in in comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, but and while typecasting can definitely be a bad thing, sometimes it's just fun seeing from, like. Oh, sure. It's fun when you see Danny Trejo pop up in something, sure. playing a very Danny Trejo esque character, and he's more than com- he's more than happy playing those parts. Yep. Like I remember uh, on his website one time, he had a he had a thing on there saying how he'll he'll do any student film, like he'll, he just to help young actors out or young young directors out so they can have someone with a name in there. Like he he gives them work reduced rates. I'm going back to film school. We so, got to make a movie and just put Danny Trejo in it now. There we go. Danny Trejo Western. Um, it's it exists. <laughs> High Plains Trejo. There we go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> so Kyle, uh, final thoughts. What did you think of? Uh, we kind of know a little bit what you thought of the movie, but you know, revised thoughts after having just rewatched it. Yeah, it's definitely. I think go, before watching this now again, it was probably my favorite western just from nostalgia's sake and what i remembered as a kid and now i'm like it's probably a few notches down but it's still it's one of those films that i want people to watch because it 
automatically creates conversations because it's it is this moral ambiguity that is hard to it's just hard to tack down um i do worry that people will look at it now in today's lens and sort of and sort of just uh frame it as this old way of thinking and this bad awful thing and i don't really think it is i just think it's it's murky waters um and people need i think people in general need to watch films that have murky uh moral ambiguity but th- those are sort of my thoughts on high plains drifter i think now um not to go a little bit off subject but once upon a time in the west i think is my favorite western All there's right. a lot of westerns out there that i haven't seen um but i i feel like i bought that blu-ray for rio bravo so i feel like that might be the next one i watch awesome amanda final thoughts um i liked it overall um i think i need to watch it a second time also so like i said i didn't get a lot of the clues to who he was early on so i would appreciate it more because they kind of enhance like his weird morals make more sense knowing who he is so there's a lot of my issues were initially with those right so now knowing that it's like not that it justifies his actions but it's like i i get it now i guess yeah part of me hopes that like upon watching it you know, this is like you're saying, Michael, that you wanted to to um, hear what Clint Eastwood's thoughts are. Yeah. Because I'd love to hear him. You know, I wonder if maybe he's like, oh, who says his actions are justifiable? Because maybe they're not supposed to be. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And like, I, remember, I know like when he responded to um, John Wayne's opinions of the film, he pretty much told him to lighten up. It's just an allegory. Right. Um, uh yeah, like, it'd be a film that if I ever got a chance to see like on, on a big screen, I would I would jump for because mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think a western on a big screen is the best way to see it, anyways. Um, normally, we, uh, early on in, when when I used to do the show, we used to do at the very end a, a recommendation category, and we usually just started forgetting about it. Okay. Um, but I want to do that again, where we find a couple, like at least one western. I don't know if you're going to have an option for, but like essentially a Western each between me and you, Kyle, for you got, she's got some, yeah. she's got some that you want yeah. to recommend. Okay. Cause you haven't seen as many. So like, um, that each one of us is going to recommend for, you know, one of the us to check out. So you, do you want to start Amanda? Do you have an option? Bone Tomahawk. Okay. Amanda thinks that you need to watch Bone okay. Tomahawk, which last I checked, it was streaming on Amazon prime. Yep. Yeah. So Bone Tomahawk, uh, for me, is it the one of the best? Not necessarily, but it's one that I've been thinking about more and more. Uh, the John Wayne film I told you about, Big Jake. Hi, welcome to Trailers from Hell. I'm Larry Karaszewski. Now, people think of the 1970s as this very liberal, experimental time in American cinema, but they forget that as late as 1971, John Wayne was the number one box office star in this country. Uh, coming off of his uh, Oscar win for True Grit, he made a, a quite a number of late-period westerns. Uh, some of them are pretty good, like The Cowboys or The Shootist, but this one might be my personal favorite from 1971. It's Big Jake. John Fane. John Fane stops at Ming. Bank robberies, train robberies, and killing. Fane and his gang raided the McCandles ranch and kidnapped little Jake McCandles. They held him for $1 million in ransom. 
They weren't afraid of the Army, and they weren't afraid of the Texas Rangers. And they thought his grandfather, Big Jake McCandles, was dead. He wasn't. If I was 10 when Stagecoach came out, I'm sure young John Wayne would be my hero. Or if I was 10 when The Quiet Man came out, middle-aged John Wayne would be my go-to guy. But as fate had it, I was 10 when Big Jake came out. So I have an absurd fondness for old man John Wayne. It's easy today to say he had grown out of touch because all we really think about in terms of the late 60s and early 70s is the hippie anti-war movement. But that was the counterculture. John Wayne was still the culture. Richard Nixon, the silent majority, and love it or leave it Americana. Now, during this time period, Wayne famously turned down the role of Dirty Harry, and he regretted it. That movie cemented Clint Eastwood as the heir to Wayne's macho throne. Wayne tried to make his own versions of 70s urban cop films, um, Q, Brannigan, but they're pretty awful. So he actually grabs two of the screenwriters of Dirty Harry, Rita and Harry Fink, and, you know, they do their own version here. There's a speech that gets repeated in Big Jake that feels... Very similar to Dirty Harry's Do You Feel Lucky Punk, this 44 Magnum will blow your head clean off soliloquy. Here it's anything goes wrong, anything at all, anything your fault, my wrong, fault, nobody's fault, your it don't fault, matter. Fault, I'm going to blow your fault. head off. No matter matter. what else happens, no matter who gets killed, I'm going to blow your head off. This is an extremely violent film, particularly considering it was rated G. It's also, though, very entertaining. Wayne has great fun interacting with his pet dog here. There's good stuff with everyone Wayne runs into saying, I thought you were dead. And the cast is pretty solid. To bring in the youth crowd, uh, there's Hollywood second-generation performers like Patrick Wayne and Chris Mitchum, plus uh, Blue Velvet recording star Bobby Vinton, I guess taking the uh, Ricky Nelson slot. And this is the final film John Wayne makes with his most frequent leading lady, Maureen O'Hara. But the co-star that really stands out in Big Jake is the great Richard Boone. The Finks worked with him on Have Gun, Will Travel, and they write a great part here for him. He's such a nasty villain. He kills so many characters that the upbeat, happy ending just doesn't work. John Wayne, why are you smiling when all your pals are dead? Maybe the tone shift is because credited director George Sherman got ill, and Wayne allegedly directed much of the film himself. I mean, this is far from a great movie, but I've always felt it's a lot of fun, and I recommend Big Jake. Anything goes wrong, anything at all. Your fault, my fault, nobody's fault. It don't matter. I'm gonna blow your head off. Simple as that. Okay. Gosh, this is so tough, because I'm like... I'm part of me is like, I, you know, there's some classic um, Eastwood or, you know, even like Sergio Leone with Once Upon a Time in the West that I'd love to say. But then at the same time, like one of the, you know, I kind of want to be a little obscure or more. Um, there's sort of like my leanings as a filmmaker uh, and sort of what I like is this. uh this sort of realism genre. Um, okay. And there's this uh, film called Meek's Cutoff. You don't know much about women, do you, Stephen Meek? I, I, I know something or other. 
if you say so. Well, I know women are different from men. I know that much. But I'll tell you the difference if you care to hear it. I don't doubt you will. Women. Women are created on the principle of chaos. The chaos of creation, disorder, bringing new things into the world. Men are created on the principle of destruction. It's like cleansing, order, and destruction. You think I'm wrong? You can tell me. Chaos and destruction, the two genders always had it. Chaos and destruction. Well, I don't know. I have to think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, by Kelly Reichard that came out. Yes. I don't know if it's like 10 years ago or something. I think it still might be on Netflix. I hope so. That is one that I, it was on my queue for the longest time. So that's a film that it Plus takes... a female-directed Western. Yep. It takes that's some awesome. patience, and it's not like a, a Western Western because it's it's this sort of neorealism style, but um, that's a film that I would recommend just as something that is going to be completely different in terms of what you expect to see from a Western. But if I had to go... So there's that, and then if I had to go with, like, this is just a great Western, and this is what sort of this genre is about, By the I way, would do Once Meek's Upon a Time in the West. Oh, Meek's Cutoff is on both Hulu and Filmstruck. Nice. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Pete. Yeah. So, yeah, if I um, if I wanted to go with just a straight-up, like, this is a classic Western that I'm super into, it would be Once Upon a Time in the West. That's been, that's a title that I've almost bought so many times out of like a five dollar bin, and for whatever reason, every time I don't. It's a long movie, but you know, is made by Leone. Made, I think, after The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, I think so. And actually, it was a script co-written by Dario Argento. That's right. And I I actually think it's better than Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is a film that I love. Isn't Charles Bronson also in? Yes, uh, and. What, one of the Fondas. I forget which Fonda. Henry? More than one? Yeah, there's... Like, oh, like, yeah, Jane Fonda's got her brother Henry, and then there's there's a bunch of them. I don't remember. It, they're they're like uh, like Hollywood royalty in a way. I just love Jane Fonda. She also had a series of successful workout videos back in the day. <laughs> Check I, those. That's our recommendation. I, no, I don't know. Jane Fonda workout videos, your recommendation <laughs> for this week from the Shameless Picture Show. But seriously, Grace and Frankie. Yeah, it's a great. <laughs> if you haven't seen Grace and Frankie on Netflix, it's fantastic. It's it's what I aspire to be as an old person. <laughs> yes. So it has Henry Fonda. I'm looking at Henry up. Fonda. He was the bad boy of the Fondas. Henry and Charles Bronson. Henry Fonda is um, cast against type as the villain. I always felt he could be a great villain because he's he, so charming. He is a wonderful villain. The way that Leone shoots him, I mean, the the whole film is just gorgeous. But the way he shoots him, you like it, like brings the villain out of him. It's ridiculously cool. Well, Leone's definitely one of those directors too that's got a unique eye. That no one shoots a film like Leone. People shoot films inspired by, mm -hmm. but no one is shooting movies like the way he did. And then. Uh, his 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 weird uh, symbiosis with music. Oh yeah, like Ennio Morricone is just as just as important to the career of Eddie, uh, of Sergio Leone as anything, 
and and um what but what makes that so fascinating at least with the good the bad and the ugly the music was composed first yep i to remember i think that might be the case with once upon a time in the west and that happened a lot just because there's some the the um they um for sometimes for contractual reasons they had to have the music done first and then they would plan the scenes based on the music which is also you looking up uh henry fonda so that's her dad oh i thought it was brother Peter i didn't think her brother now i got the two confused okay and there's some other ones in there as well he just looks like he should be from like world war Two. just like he looks like that yeah plus the picture was taken in 1948 no i know but like i mean <laughs> i don't know we've talked about this before like the way my grandpa looks he looks like he was in world war Two. very like, square jaw a and... very like specific look of guys from that time period that's awesome i get it you know very square jawed and traditionally handsome i get it <laughs> so i feel like you should discuss this on your next blog on the movie hipster that you're now gonna have <laughs> yeah because... discuss what <laughs> um world war ii uh jaws and actors <laughs> not just actors though but like yes, like if you look yes. at like people's grandparents from that time period it's like you look like act like they look like they should be actors totally. from that time period i might have to get that blog going because everyone else is no, oh well i guess i haven't i've only sent it to one place but no one else has looked at my my article i've written so okay might have to brainstorm other places to send it to but Absolutely. that's that's a conversation for off air um I think that's everything, right? We'll go, we'll go back through one more time. Amanda's pick for Western She Recommends for Everyone is Bone Tomahawk by the filmmaker S. Craig Zoller. Uh, nuts. It is. <laughs> um, my recommendation is Big Jake, which I think was done by Don Siegel, actually. Let me double check that because now I'm I'm curious if I'm remembering correctly. So I could have sworn it was one of his later films. Let's see, Big Jake... And then as a guest, I get to cheat. So name two. Uh, so Once Upon a Time in the West and Meek's Cutoff, if you're looking for a contemporary uh, version of a Western. I was wrong. It was not uh, Don Siegel. It was directed by George Sherman and apparently John Wayne. Oh. So so that's, that's, that's four recommendations for everyone to watch. Um, once again, this has been the Shameless Picture Show. You can find us online at on Instagram at, at Shameless Picture Show, all one word, on Facebook at the Shameless Picture Show, and then we you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. We've made it easier for everyone's searching abilities. Words shame. It's it's each word is its own word. So Shameless Picture Show. Nice. And then uh. Where can everyone find you guys on the internet? Instagram, Amanda Arvires. Um, I'm on Instagram as well at the Carp, the Carp with 14. K14. <laughs> I just I remember that because I had to I had to tell you what your Instagram handle was in the That's last right. episode. <laughs> and then I'm on Twitter as just the Carp with a K. Cool. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. <laughs>